Welcome to Willamette Wake Up. I'm Melanie Zermer. Since the eruption of social unrest this summer after the death of George Floyd, many people in the dominant culture, that is many white people, became more interested in learning about racism and inequity and how it plays out in a systemic way in our culture. Many books have been the focus of this topic. Salem Public Library devoted a shelf to these books. People have formed book clubs to discuss these books with other people. And this recent interest in educating ourselves on racism made me wonder what kind of effect this may have going forward. What did people learn? How, if at all, has it changed them? So I reached out to one group of people who've been educating themselves on the topic long before this summer. They're members of an organization that formed three or four years ago in response to community conversations on the history of racism in Oregon put on by the Oregon Humanities. This organization is the Racial Justice Organizing Committee, a primarily white ally group to support people and organizations of color in meeting their missions. And one of the objectives of the Racial Justice Organizing Committee, also known as RJOC, was to educate themselves on the history of racism and how it plays out today. And today I'm talking with three people from that book club, Lori Dougherty, Paul Crystal, and Lori Hafer. Welcome, and thanks for taking time to have this conversation with me this morning. So I mentioned earlier that you three have been educating yourselves on the topic of systemic racism for several years. Why did you think this was important to do? What got you started? And Lori D., let's start with you. Um, well, I actually started quite a long time ago, um, in the late 1960s. Um, I wasn't really active at the height of the civil rights movement in the Deep South, but um, my ex-husband was. And we, we moved from New York City, where we were living at the time, to Louisville, Kentucky, to work for an organization called the Southern Conference Educational Fund. It was uh, run by Ann and Carl Braden, who were very well-known civil rights, civil liberties activists at the time. They had projects around the South, um, organizing, trying to bring black and white people together, organizing around civil rights. And so um, that was where I, you know, kind of got immersed in it. I had always been, since I was a child, I was aware. I mean, I had seen this was something that was really sort of formative in my mind. Um, seeing young children who were trying to integrate schools. I saw it on TV. I wasn't part of it, but I saw it. And watching them being confronted with such vicious hatred from white people. And it really was stunning to me. Like, how could these kids go through this? How could their families be so brave? And so I always was like concerned about what what was this about? Why was this happening? Lori, well, thanks for that, because a lot of people don't really see racism play out. You saw it, so I can see how that really motivated you. What about you, Paul Crystal? Wow, I think, again, this goes back a long a long way for me. I was pretty naive and didn't understand much about race or racism growing up, because I grew up in almost a 100% white community, rural community in New York, upstate New York. And it wasn't until I went to college in Philadelphia that I really got exposed to a much broader, more diverse world. And coming out of college, I stayed in Philadelphia to work for in social services for state government. And we were organizing a union at the time for state social service workers. So it, it was during that organizing campaign that I realized that not only are probably a third or more of the members of the union were people of color, but our clients that the various social service agencies served were largely 
if not half or more uh, people of color. And I really needed to understand what was going on both in a community of members that were working. I was working shoulder to shoulder with members of color and trying to organize the union and also struggling with how do we, what's our relationship with organizations that represent our clients. And I got to know leaders of welfare rights organization and, and uh, unemployment project organizations and other civil rights groups in Philadelphia as we were organizing our union. And I felt like there was so much I didn't know from my background that I needed to learn. And I started back in, that was back in the early seventies, um, learning through reading, but also learning through going and being part of organizations that represent people of color and, and being in that work shoulder to shoulder and learning how to be an ally and accomplice in that work. So that's how it started. And since then, uh, I, I spent my virtually my entire life in the labor movement. And during all of that time, we were always fighting in multiracial environments against employers that were trying to pit us against each other and use racism and sexism and homophobia, use all those as wedges. You know, in order to be effective in the labor movement, I had to continue my own, taking responsibility for my own learning around all those different uh, continuums of oppression. Great. Well, thank you for that, Paul. What about you, Lori Hafer? Well, I've worked in social justice and, and racial justice efforts and, and organizations for a long period of time, um, particularly in regards to immigrant workers' rights, um, where it's very clear to see the impact, the negative impact of systemic racism. Um, I came to RJOC, you know, because of quite frankly, probably a frustration with just a lack of, of kind of progress in, in our in, in our efforts against racism. And I think an important part of our Jack is that taking ownership of of educating ourselves as white people, as white allies, to understand the whys of of racism and systemic racism and why it exists. And you know, we had been doing different kinds of studying in RJOC um, to educate ourselves in a more kind of ad hoc way. But I think some of us felt that a, a more systemic, organized studying of important texts would be a way for us to bring a more profound analysis and help us understand why racism exists, the dynamics, and then hopefully help us think of ways of of working against it and being anti-racist. A lot of the books that people are reading out there, some of them I believe that you've probably read, have been written by black or African-American authors. And um, do you believe that's important to get this information directly from a person of color? Okay, I'll, t- I'll take that. This is Laurie Doherty. Um, yes, I think it's very important because they are speaking about their own experience what it means um, to be a person. Usually it's people in this color, the bo- I mean, this country, I'm sorry, the books that we're reading, but they can e- describe the experience and um, what it, what it feels like, what it looks like and how it, how it relates to the larger structures of society, um, which is, which is very important because it, it isn't just about, you know, somebody doesn't like you or somebody says a bad word, although those things do happen, but it's because, the way our society is organized has deep effects on people, has effects on people's health, on people's jobs, on people's ability to get housing. And so the um, 
the people of color who can describe not only what it's like to go through these experiences, but how it relates to the larger society, I think is a very important and instructive thing for us to understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul? Everything Lori D. just said, absolutely. I have the same feeling about reading these authors. The other thing that really strikes me about reading texts written by people whose lived experience is what you're studying is you get to see the nuances between different observers' points of view as well. So that, you know, it's too easy for white people in particular to think, well, if I talk to one black person, then I've learned everything I need to know about the experience of of black people, right? Whereas there might be some of these authors come from a different perspective or maybe have a different take on the same experiences. So you'll start to learn that there's not just one viewpoint about how do you, what are the issues and how do you solve those issues, but there are multiple viewpoints and those have to come together as well. In fact, they use references, reference a lot of other authors, some of whom might agree with them and some of whom might disagree with their analysis. It just shows you how how big a pool there is of, of insight and talent out there among people of color who are authors that we can take advantage of from from reading multiple texts. All right. Well, thank you for that. And listeners, if you've just joined us, I'm talking to three people who've been reading books about racism and systemic racism to better understand the black or African-American or person of color experience so that they can move in their world in a more informed way. I'm talking with Paul Crystal, Lori Dougherty, and Lori Hafer. We've talked a little bit about why you got involved in reading these books, but what have been some of the books that you've read and, and how did you choose them? Well, the first one that we read was How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And I think that was really important to start with that one. One, because I think it does such an excellent job of kind of showing that anti-racism and being an anti-racist, it's, it's a verb. Um, it's, an, it's an active study. And I think it was really helpful to give us some vocabulary that was, I think, very helpful for us to kind of continue our conversations through the other books that we read. We followed that by reading White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, and then we read The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander, which is just an incredibly powerful description of how mass incarceration criminalization is just a very powerful part of the way that racism is acting within our society in America for for quite a long period of time and has, in effect, taken over the damage that was done by Jim Crow laws. Um, Lori Dougherty, would you agree with Lori H. that it was important to start with how to be anti-racist? Um. I, th- yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it was. A, it was an. It was an interesting book. It was. Um, it takes a lot of different facets of life, and and explains how to look at how racism impacts it. And the interesting thing is the author. The author is black, but he talked about how racism had permeated his own thinking and behavior, and how he had to strip himself of racist ideas about you know uh, his himself about his position in society about how um what motivates the treatment that you know he perceives and things like that so that was that was really kind of an interesting take Mm -hmm. um i'd like to talk about one of the other things that we read which 
um, was the Movement for Black Lives policy platform. We read one segment of it, which has been um, revised in 2020 since it was first published in 2016. They haven't finished revising all their segments, but this is a very, it was, it was sort of a difficult read because it is so extensive. Um, the Movement for Black Lives is a consortium of organizations, and they are developed these, this policy agenda. And you can read, you know, sort of big picture things like stop the war on black people, um, reparations, economic justice, invest, divest. But then you can look down at very, very deeply into segments that look at how these things apply in different um, things like apply to women, um, apply to health, apply to disabled people. And then you can go further and you can look at resources, you know, that they did. So it's, it's somewhat – it's not exactly like a book, and it is not um, as, as easy to kind of get a handle on. But it's a very important um, look at the society and and how we can develop policies to address all of these different things. And I think it's a very, very important thing to look at. It's called the Movement for Black Lives Policy Platform. Yeah, so, Lori, it sounds like it's a how-to plan, like if we all agree that we need to move forward, here are some ways we can do that. Would you agree that it's more of action-oriented? It's both a very detailed analysis of the situation that we're in, the policy that we can take, and then how, how we can act on them, yes. It's online. You, you don't have to buy it or go to the library. It's all online. Um, Movement for Black Lives policy platform. Great. Thank you for that. And Paul Crystal, anything you want to add to the types of books you've been reading? Uh, we're also um, reading now, finishing up Stamps from the Beginning by Ibram Kendi. And what I love about that book is that I ha- it's a good thing we read How to Be an Anti-Racist first by the same author, because the How to Be an Anti-Racist really is much more popularly readable by the general public. It's something you can get a handle on and learn the language of and really explore in some detail, a lot of the intersections as well. Uh, Stamps for the Beginning is a history book. He's a historian. I mean, he's trained as a historian and he writes history books. So it's very deep. It's very difficult to read because dates and times and names of people and places and, and, you know, very dense like a history book is. But what what I gain from it is, you know, if you think you know that racism is, is fundamental to the existence and for, foundation of this country, you don't know the half of it. I mean, it's just mm. it was so mm-hmm. explicit at every phase of the development of this country. This wasn't just something hiding under the covers. This just was, wasn't something that was implicit. It was explicit in almost every policy and formation of the government from the beginning, from before the beginning of the United States, during, from 1619 on. I mean, you just look at at everything that happened, and these were public statements by public officials that were openly racist and openly discriminatory and openly saying that, you know, this nation is founded on racism. It's it's very bracing. And also what's bracing, I think, and also stand from the beginning and locking up our own, which followed the new Jim Crow. The author, James Foreman, was looking at time period after the time period Michelle Alexander was looking at in the new Jim Crow. And really look at how the system was able to use some of the 
inherent racist ideas that Ibram Kendi even acknowledged that he had to pit black people against each other in a way that a lot of black officials ended up supporting policies that had the unintended consequences of mass incarceration for black people. It really shows how insidious yeah. this is that that you can use the pain that you that the system can use the pain it's created within the black community to convince leaders in that community of policies that make it worse. Mm -hmm. um, and how you're always struggling against that and trying to figure out what's at root in these policies. So the history, reading that history, um, as dense as it is, is really, I think, important to understand even more deeply um, how racist forces have pit pitted people against each other and used people to support policies that end up hurting themselves. And I think we've learned that in economics. We've learned how working people can can end up being convinced to vote for Republicans or, or that have a rich people's agenda, how they can be convinced to support what ends up being a rich people's agenda um, through being divided by race, divided by sex, divided by gender, divided by ability, all the different ways that the, we can be divided. Anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying these <laughs> like, <are> great books. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, But what you're saying is stamped from the beginning is clearly a factual history book, but it sounds, Paul, like yeah. you didn't learn that in your history class in school. Not really. I don't remember. <laughs> no. You no. slept through that chapter, no. huh? <laughs> well, you know, we're yeah. getting into the kind of a segue. And listeners, if you've just joined us, I'm talking to three people who are part of a book club that's part of an organization called Racial Justice Organizing Committee, or RJOC. Part of what they do is educate themselves to be better allies for people of color. And we've been talking about their book club and the and the books that they've been reading. Um, but you three, Lori, Lori, and Paul, you came into this with some knowledge about these issues already. But I'm sure yet you learned some things. Uh, we kind of started going there. But what were some of the things that were new that you learned or maybe some of the most surprising things that you learned? And uh, this time, let's start with uh, Lori H. Well, like Paul said, I think that from Stamped from the Beginning, which I would recommend to that everyone, it's, it's very dense and very thick, but um, incredibly important. And just learning you know, even though you, you feel like you understand how pervasive, uh, you know, systemic racism is, just to read about the details of it is just really shattering. And, for example, just, you know, I have to say, um, you know, I, you know, familiar with the general concept of reconstruction and didn't work, but to actually just see how black people were sabotaged, there was no just no support for for people economically and um you know no opening for people to be given any kind of political power um and to see the details of like the GI bill and you know the discrimination and how um those resources were distributed that impacted um just people's access to education and economic opportunities and housing um it's it's really um, so eye-opening. And I would say that I think that the, in How to Be an Anti-Racist, I think really having those um, concepts of kind of what is a segregationist, what's an assimilationist, what is an anti-racist, and seeing that individuals and their actions might go between those things. And as Paul was saying, even you know, the author himself kind of showed his own kind of development 
through those. And then I would say that Kendi in Stamped from the Beginning really does um, an exceptional job of describing just, you know, that we our nation has not seen a linear kind of progression in regards to racial justice, right? That there has been growth and, and progress in racism, but also uh, growth and progress in, in anti-racism and just seeing how complex those dynamics have been in, in creating the nation that we have right now. All right. And Lori Dougherty, what would you say you learned? Again, all three of you have been pretty involved in social justice movements for a long time. Uh, but Lori Dougherty, what would you say are some of the new things you learned by reading these books? I think the thing that uh, really stands out as something that I learned is in, in Stamp from the Beginning, looking at how racism is able to transform itself um, depending on the situation. I mean, there were, there were arguments, you know, for slavery. There were religious arguments. There were arguments about, you know, the, the condition of people, you know, in Africa. And there were, there were arguments about, um, there were economic arguments. And then when you move away from slavery, you get into, like um, Laurie was talking about, about reconstruction and then, you know, how that, there had to be a different kind of way of talking about that. But I think what was interesting to me was how much this was a part of the society. I mean, there were like, um, it wasn't just something that was off to the side, but it was very foremost in the political agenda of whatever the time period was, you know, um, whatever was going on at that time. Uh, that's what people were talking about in in politics, in communities, you know, in churches, and in, in in lecture halls. I mean, there was a it was very much uh, known and you know involved in in the in the communities. I mean, there were talk talk about genetics. There was talk about when you look at like integration, how it became twisted into like. Well, they need to assimilate, black people need to assimilate so they can become more like white people, you know, and all of these arguments were very popularized. You know, it's still going on. There is still evolution of the racist positions and how they are used and in society and how they are used against people. I think it was the the pervasiveness of it that was like striking to me. Yeah, it's like you're saying you're just walking along in life and this all whatever your life was it was normal and now later as a older adult you're realizing wow that was normal but wow it was it was not good. It was not good. It was mm-hmm. harmful to many people. Paul, any uh, surprises from you after all your readings? Yeah, I, I I think all those things, and and one of the things that I really got from it is throughout what throughout Stanford beginning, there is this thread called uplift suasion, where where the idea is if just we just show how smart black people can be, we just show how people can assimilate into society and be brilliant scientists and authors and this kind of thing, if we just show ourselves to be good, law-abiding, family-raising, you know, God-fearing people, then white people will see that and they won't be racist anymore. And this idea was, you know, pervasive throughout the entire book. Every different stage of our history, there's always some effort to just show that we can be good enough to be accepted into society. And it never worked, right? It, every, it never worked. 
Um, it never undid racism. If anything, it simply it, it simply allowed racism to continue by saying, "Oh yeah, that's that person, that black person who's so smart, so brilliant." Well, that's the exception. That shows how everybody, all, all other black people, are worthless and and uh, you know stupid and ignorant or whatever. So, but it's a thread throughout the beginning of this country, this idea of black exceptionalism or uplift suasion, or let's just show how good we actually are as a people. Um, it never, it never worked. Another thing about um, reading the pervasiveness of racism that uh, is demonstrated in Stanford from the beginning is it gave me a new perspective on a recent argument I've been hearing about for kind of frame Trumpism as fascism comparing to Nazi Germany or to Mussolini in Italy or or Spain. I read an article recently with an author saying, no, you can't. This is nothing like the development of fascism. This is uniquely American white supremacy that comes from the foundation of this country in white supremacy. And in this article just started pointing to all the way back to the beginning of this country, how white supremacy was used to crush the hopes and dreams and the lives of people of color in particular black people in this country and this is just a reemergence of that same demand to to put black people under our thumb and to and to put them where they belong which is underneath the white race and i think that stamp from the beginning as well as the other books we read locking up our own the new jim crow just reinforce with me how, yeah, we need to look, we have a uniquely American history that results in where we are right now. And and we need to own it and accept it, that this has been a racist country from its very beginning, that white supremacy has guided the development of this country from the beginning to today. It hasn't ended, it hasn't abated, and it's always underneath the surface waiting to rise its head again anytime you think you've made progress. Well, thank you for that new insight. So uh, we're going to wrap up here in just a few minutes. But again, you all came into this reading uh, pretty active already and pretty knowledgeable already. And you're and you're all involved in social justice issues in one way or another. But is there anything that you're doing differently with your newfound information and insights? Uh, Lori Dougherty. I'm not sure I'm doing things differently because of these books. I mean, they're very instructive, and I've learned a lot from them. But I'll tell you what I am doing differently, and it comes from a different direction. I'm very involved with the climate change movement, and the climate change and environmental movement are becoming very much um, immersed in ideas of equity. And this is starting to show up in a lot of different policy areas, kind of across the board. And I think I think it's a very good thing. So it's sort of like an emerging merging of the kinds of things that I'm interested in because climate change affects people of color. Um, they, they, they tend to get the worst impacts of it. And also, if we change our economy in order to address climate change, we need to make sure that everybody is included, everybody welfare is, is made whole. What I'm learning, you know, through our doc is, in these books is how critical it is to never forget about racism and white supremacy and the role it has in our society. And we've been hearing that term a lot, applying the equity lens to any policies that we make. Lori Hafer, yeah. uh, what about you? I would I would echo what Lori's saying just in regards to, I think, bringing that race equity analysis to kind of throughout um, all the different parts of my life. 
um, and all the different organizations and, and dynamics um, that we're part of just because it is so critical. There is urgency in figuring out what the roles that racism are playing and then addressing that and pushing back. Well, we're just about wrapping up here. I'm going to let you speak, Paul. Any any ways that you're approaching your work differently? Yeah, I think that, you know, as you indicated and as both Lori Doherty and Lori Hafer have said, we've been doing this work, but it gives me yet more perspective, right? I think everything I read, everything I've learned simply gives me additional analysis for whatever I'm working on. So, for example, the, the observation I made about fascism versus white supremacy, I think because of the reading, I've been able to articulate better and understand better that article that I read about, no, this is not fascism, this is white, rooted in white supremacy. Because now I have touch points say, oh, yeah, this is what Kendi was saying in this book, or that's what uh, Foreman was saying in this book. So I think it's, it allows me to move forward in a more informed way to do the work that I've been been doing, you know, so it, it, it gives me a deeper analysis and a deeper understanding of the why and the how, how I might convince other people to do the work. So the, what I'm working on right now is I'm, I'm deeply involved in the effort to try to get school board members elected, school board members that are progressive mm. and people of color get elected in Salem. So I would have worked on that anyway. But I think the reading that we've done and understand the deeper understanding of systemic racism gives me a different analysis of why it's so important, why the school board plays such an important role, and why having school board members of color who come from uh, an analysis of progressive issues in the community, why that's important. It invigorates my work and infuses my work with more meaning for me personally, and it allows me to be a more effective member of the coalition uh, trying to get uh, these new school board members elected. Great. Thank you for that. Is there anything else that you wanted to add, Lori? I just want to reinforce what Paul said, is that is that the reading makes clear how important it is that we don't lose our focus on white supremacy and being an anti-racist. I'd like to thank Lori Dougherty, Paul Crystal, and Lori Heffer for joining us this morning and talking about the books that they've been reading. So thank you all for joining us and sharing your experiences with us, uh, with our listeners this morning.